Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. Well, we are in our last chapter of Ephesians this morning, and you'll see the title on the screen in front of you and in the bulletin. It's called Fight or Flight. The choice is yours. Ephesians 6 is kind of like if you're reading any book. Some of you, I know who you are, you read the first chapter and the last chapter to figure out what happens, and then you read the middle part to see how you got there. Well, what we see here in Ephesians 6 is the the last push that Paul gives to encourage the Christians in the church of Ephesus. And so we're going to look at that this morning. If you're joining by Facebook Live, the outline is actually, there's a link in the description there that you can follow along. So with that said, let's jump right in. The term fight or flight originated from the choice that humans make to either stay and fight in a harmful or dangerous situation, whether it be some type of adversity, like I said, danger, or they choose to fly away, run and flee. And there is wisdom in both responses. It's kind of like the two guys that were out in the woods and they were camping and they had heard that there were bears were known for that area of the woods. And they were looking at each other and one said, hey, man, do you think you can outrun a bear? He said, no. He said, are you scared? He said, no. He said, well, why? He said, because I think I can outrun you. So the thing is, is that we may have fight or flight instincts when it comes to our survival for life. But the thing is, what we're looking at here is as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there are some things that we need to fight for. And that's what Paul is telling us this morning. As we cover the last chapter of Ephesians, Paul wrote this book of Ephesians to encourage the believers in the church to keep fighting the good fight. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I get excited about this passage because there are many things that are trying to kick down believers today. As we look at what's happening in our world, as we look at what's happening in our own nation, if we, as we look at what's happening in our own backyards and under our roofs, we see time and time again the devil is under attack or we are under attack by the devil But the thing is, is that we must join God's mission of redeeming this world through the message of His Son, Jesus Christ. Just as we worship Jesus Christ in Christmas and in Easter for those things that He did, we are part of the same plan as the church, is to bring God's redemption to this world. And remember what Christ has done for us. Because God, through Christ, our penalty for sin has been paid. He has forgiven us. And we have been reconciled. In other words, we have been made right with Him. So as we get ready to get into the Scripture, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember, because of the church, not just Homeland Park Baptist Church, but the church as a whole, the global church, I want you to remember that you are not alone in this fight. That's what the devil wants you to believe this morning. The devil wants you to believe that nobody understands what you're going through. The devil wants you to believe that you can't talk to God about this. The devil wants you to believe that there are no other people around you that can help you. You can even be in a crowd full of people like we are today and still feel 
terribly alone because of the lies of the devil. But remember, you are not alone in this fight because you are part of the church. And so if we are truly the church, when one is up, we are all up. When one is down, we push that other brother or sister up. It is a community. It is a support system. And we are the body of Christ. And we should live in harmony with one another, regardless of our race, our background, or the level of our bank accounts. We are one family in Christ. There should be no barriers, no divisions, no basis for discrimination, because we all belong to Him. And so to believe in God alone and to live lives of integrity, that is what we are supposed to do. And you have the power of heaven behind you, my friend. You may be in that situation today, if not today, you've been in that situation where you think, God, I cannot take another step. Now, I can't do this. I hear what the preacher is saying. I know what the scriptures say, but I just don't know how to put it together. My friend, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the power of the Holy Spirit within you from the moment you said, Jesus, come into my life and save me. The Holy Spirit was within you, is within you. You have the power to do everything that God asks. How crazy and how mean and spiteful would it have been for God to raise the bar of how we are to live, but not give us the means and the power to do so. And my friends, he has done that. So we must be authentic. And when I say authentic, and that the power gives you the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit gives you the power to do all that God has called you to be, I do not, and hear me now, I do not mean that you are going to be perfect. I, you know, some of you are really close. Donna, she's really close to being perfect. <laughs> no, she said, no, I'm not. Don't worry. She, in my mind, she is, but I know she's got flaws. I've got flaws. you got flaws. we got flaws. we all got flaws. Amen? Okay. If we were perfect, we wouldn't need Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is there was only one perfect man that lived in this world, and we killed him. His name was Jesus. It was your sin and my sin that sent him to the cross. But the truth of the matter is, is that I would much rather see a believer that is struggling in their faith, that is struggling with a situation, but yet still in the midst of that, depending upon God. You don't need to know the right words to say. You don't need to know all the the, the same, I guess you could call, uh, phrases that most Christians say when when somebody's going through something. Folks, we know the phrases. We know the scriptures. We know the songs. Sometimes the most authentic Christian is going to be the one that knows everything, doesn't have the strength to do it, but in God's strength is willing not to take five or ten steps, but just the freaking next step to maybe even just get up in the morning and give God glory. For some of you, maybe your step is right here, right now, to be in the Lord's house. We must be authentic. My friends, if you make Christianity look like some kind of plastic, perfect thing that is easy for everybody to do, you are doing a great misjustice. Just as much as someone who is acting like terribly and claiming to be a Christian. There's got to be a middle ground there. So let's jump into the scriptures. You must fight for your family. We are continuing. Last week we looked at marriage. This week Paul moves to, this is what Holy Spirit living looks like for the family. You must fight for your family. So we see in verses 1 through 4, talking about children and parents. 
Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord and this is for the right thing to do. And all the parents in the room say, <laughs> Amen. Grandparents and all those alike. You know, son, you know, daughter, the Bible says you need to obey me. It says it right here. Amen. Verse 2 says, it goes on further. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you. And you will have a long life on the earth. Then it goes to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Mothers are saying, well, I dodged a bullet. There's nothing about me in there. No, that's not the way this looks. The truth of the matter is, is if you go back to what we studied last week, we see that in God's order, again, not to rehash everything we did last week, but, but every organization, every unit needs some type of structure. And God is holding the, the Father accountable for everything that happens in the house. And so it's the father, it's the mother, it's the brothers, it's the sisters, it's everybody, that you don't provoke one another to do things that are opposite of what the Lord wants. You see, children are back there. We can move on, right? But the truth of the matter is, is that when it says children, it's not just for those that are still in some type of grade school. It's for some of you like me. Maybe a little bit younger, maybe even a little bit older. Even if your parents have passed, you still, according to the Bible, must honor your father and mother. Yes, Paul is writing this letter to specifically address the children that would be hearing this being read. And then our children are just as much part of the church as their older family members. Obeying and honoring our parents is something that we must do. Obeying is doing what is asked. But honoring and loving our parents and respecting our parents enough to want to do what we are asked, what they ask, that is honoring them. Parents and mentors, we all have a responsibility. Yes, we must deal with their strong wills, developing brains, temperaments, and tests. How many of you that have had children in your life have never had a child test your boundaries? You draw the line, and what do they do? They step over it. You tell them not to do something, that's the exact thing that they want to do. Why are they doing that? Because they are testing you. Because they don't know any better. And it's amazing. Have you all found, those of you that, that are now older, at least I found it true in my life, the older I get, the smarter my parents become. In other words, you understand now why they did what they did. And, and all of those things, it comes into light. But we see that that being overbearing as a parent and being relentless, as it's talking about here, may push away a child from the family and the Lord. But there again, being too lenient may cause them to play you against one another. Because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, especially as a youth pastor, I saw kids play their parents like cheap fiddles. It was crazy. And now, look, I'm going to go ahead and tell you something. Say, well, Pastor, you don't know because you're not a parent. You don't have children. I may not have had children. Don and I may not have had children, but they have been a part of our lives for our entire lives, families, and in student ministry. We get to see sometimes the raw version of that. 
Right now, these kids are sweet and cute and lovable. But when 13 hits, 14 and 15, y'all going to remember this preacher. Say, preacher, what do you think? They're beautiful. The children are beautiful. And as a parent, I can't imagine. I mean, it's different. And even in this congregation or watching right now, there is probably 20 different parenting methods that are being employed in these par- in, within these families. And that's okay. But just what Paul is saying is that whatever you do, don't make it too tough on the kid to where they're going to flee. And at the same time, don't make it easy enough where they're going to manipulate you. Those of you that are parents, is that a constant line you're trying to find? I think for some it is. For some it is trying to find that line. And, and, and even if you have multiple children, different children have a different line that you can take with them. And then so eventually we see that you need to find balance. We all need to find balance that works for our family. And how do you do that? Investing and implanting and sowing the seeds of Scripture into our children's lives so that they can be able to see it come to fruition as they get older. And as I said a moment ago, there are no age limits applied to this verse. We're always going to have a mother and we're always going to have a father. And also, one more side note, there is no stipulation that your parents have to be believers. You know, as a Christian, I used to think, well, if my parents are not Christians, I don't need to obey them because they're not they're not raising me in the ways of the word. No, that is not what this is saying. We are to respect our parents because they are the parents that God has given us. But I will also say that if you are ever in a situation where a parent is telling you to do things that are immoral or illegal, there are ways to report that and to get that out. No one should stay under that because that parent, whoever they is, has a problem and they need to get help. This is not a license to endure illegal treatment. We see here also, the second thing is that you must fight for your integrity at work. Now, I'm going to be meddling a little bit, so I apologize. It's not me. It's the word. It says, slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Yes, they had slavery back in Jesus' day, back in Paul's day. But for the purpose of our application, we're talking about, you know, worker employees being Workers for the employers, okay? It says, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ to please them all the time, not just when you are watching or not just when they are watching. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with, here's verse 7. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Oh, my goodness. You ever been in a job you don't like? You ever had a supervisor that you felt like was unfit to supervise? That you could do a whole lot better? You ever felt like, I'm not going to put my 100% into this because I know they're not. They're not worth my 100%. The bad part about that is, is if we want to be scriptural, God says, look, you are to minister and you are to be sought and light in a place. And that even if you don't like who you're working for, they are your they are your superior and you do it as if you are working to the Lord. Because ultimately, it's not about the paycheck and whatever level we are at the work. It's about honoring God with our family, honoring God with our conduct and honoring God with our even our performance and respect 
at work. And then if you're in a job to where you feel like that you are not being respected, then the prayer is, God, either deliver me or give me the strength to get through this. But the worst thing that can happen is to be a terrible employee or a terrible supervisor and then go to church on Sunday and tell everybody about it. Y'all have seen those people. I would go ahead and say that if someone tells you how good of a Christian they are, that's about how bad of a Christian they are. It's the opposite. But that's another story for another time. Verse 8, remember that the Lord will reward each one of you for the good that you do, whether you are slaves or free. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Folks, Christians should serve their employers with respect. From the very beginning of time, God gave Adam and Eve a job, and that was to tend the garden. And after the fall, it became increasingly more difficult for Adam and Eve to do their job. Don't be the one that asks off for church events while coming in late to work and cutting corners every time you're there. Even if your job is not your favorite at times, remember, just as we live for the Lord, we work for the Lord. Pray that God gives you the strength to stay where you are and do the will He has given for you and do well or to be able to deliver you. And if you are a supervisor here, if you are an employer, if you have people under you, those that are under you are not your subjects to rule over. They are God's creation and they deserve to be loved, respected, and paid fairly for what they do. See, this goes both ways in this passage. So, dear employer and supervisors, the value of the one who works for you is not found in their paycheck or their salary. It's found in their service to you. The third thing that we see, which is the crux of our message today, to wear your armor. In Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17, and, and as I was preparing this, I thought, man, I could do several sermons on this series, but for the purpose of the church series that we're in, we're going to go right through this. But this is a huge passage in Scripture. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. We start with verse 10 where it says a final word. In other words, Paul's wrapping this up. When you're writing a letter or an email or a text message or a Facebook post or you're, you're trying to, to get some type of point across, when you get to the end, that's usually the main part, right? You start with the, hey, how you doing? Here's what's going on, but this is what I need you to do. Well, this is that part where Paul says, This is what I need you to do. From this point forward, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Folks, when it says, be strong in the Lord, Paul is calling on all believers to fight, not within their power, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. He has just spent five chapters exhaustively detailing why believers should stand for Christ and how God will empower them to do so. Well, what are some of those things? Number one, my friend, remember that if you're going to stand up for Christ, A, first and foremost, you are a child of God. Number two, as the church of Jesus Christ, you are part of God's plan for redemption of this world. The third thing, God has given you His Holy Spirit to help you grow in your faith. 
And then the other thing is that we see here there is a battle. We can either fight or we can choose flight. The choice is ours. Let's look about the armor. We need to armor up, verses 11 through 17. Folks, no soldier would dream of going into battle without every piece of armor. Every piece of armor. I know for firefighters, a lot of times, it's very easy to get caught up into the uh, the adrenaline of a situation. And you're either jumping off a truck with all your stuff on or you're putting it on. And if you're not careful, you might have a flap that's still open around your neck. Or you might have a coat that is, is tucked up under an air pack. Or you might have sections of your, your body that are exposed and not protected. And what happens if we go in there and we forget a helmet, we forget a coat, we forget gloves? It is disastrous. But folks, my friends, let me tell you what. As believers in Jesus Christ and as family members of Christ, as being, being the church and in your families in particularly, the devil wants to see them destroyed. And my friends, God has given you the armor to defend against those attacks. Notice this. We are powered by the Holy Spirit, but we are still called to put on our armor and fight. Even though we are powered by the Holy Spirit, we are still called to fight. You see, God doesn't give exemption clauses. Those of you who might say, well, preacher, I'm too old to fight the spiritual battle nowadays. I'm too weak. Or I've done my duty. I've done my tour of duty. My friend, there are no tours of duty as a believer in God. We are either in the army or we are in eternity. One of the two. There's no exemptions for being too old, too weak, too immature, too busy. The, I'll go ahead and tell you. You come up with the best reason you can think of. And it could be a good one. I mean, you can say, aha, preacher, I'll see you at the church. I'll give you a good reason why I don't feel like I can spite fight spiritual warfare and why I can't uh, further the gospel. I'll give you, I'll tell you why. And I want you to think about it really hard. And I want you to come and tell me what it is. And then better yet, don't tell me what it is. Get on your knees and tell God what that excuse is and see what he thinks of that. How many excuses do you think Jesus could have given before going to the cross? When he was in the garden of Gethsemane, sweating to the point of blood coming out of his pores. And he said, Daddy, don't make me do this. But never never my will, but your will be done. Folks, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. We would be shocked if we were to walk out of this church today and see the armored National Guard with all of their tanks and weapons and everything pointed straight at this church. We say, wow, well, man, we are under attack. But the truth of the matter is, the very spiritual forces of hell are at work right now. Around this church, in your homes, in your offices, and in your hearts. So armor up, church. The armor of God is both in the sense from God, and it is God's. In other words, it's His armor that He has made specifically for you, and he tells you to pick it up. So what is it? Let's see, verse 11. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. My friends, just turn on the news. Just read your news feed and see what goes on in our world. The atrocities, the evilness, where you you hear some of these stories and you think, how could one person even think about doing this? Well, the truth of the matter is, is that there are evil spirits at work. And I'm not talking about Halloween, boogie, boogie, woogie kind of spooky stuff. I'm talking about real threats. We all want to believe in angels. Oh, there's an angel watching over me and all these kind of great things, touched by an angel and all that kind of stuff. But what is a demon? A demon is a fallen angel. So if you believe in angels, demons are out there too. He talks about the belt of truth. The belt of truth. He says, stand your ground by putting on the belt of truth. Why does he say that? In verse 13, before that, he says, Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Folks, the time to put on your armor is not when the bullets are flying. It is before you step out. And so this belt of truth, the way it would work when when the Roman soldiers would fight and the other folks would fight, the men, when they were fighting, they wore like what they called tunics, which was like a long, almost like a... A, a robe. It would be like, not a dress, but it would be a long undergarment. And so what would happen, what they would do with the belt, they would be like, they would have a utility belt around them. And so they would reach down and they would grab the bottom of that muumu and they'd pull it up. That way when they ran, they wouldn't trip over it. My friends, if you commit to making the truth of God's word, the belt that holds everything together for you, you will not trip over yourself. Matter of fact, the Bible says that God's word will light a lamp unto your feet and a light to your path. And he will guide you on every step. It says that in Psalm 119, verse 105. The body armor, the breastplate of righteousness. What is this talking about? This is talking about having character. The breastplate of righteousness, the chest piece, this protects our hearts and our vital organs. Folks, you've got to protect your heart against the attack of the evil one. Don't let him turn you in your affections toward God. Don't let him affect you in your, in your feelings toward your family members, your spouse, your church, your peers, your job. Guard your heart because that is where your character is found. Have integrity, folks. Treat people fairly and love them equally as God loves you. Then he talks about having shoes of peace. In verse 15, For shoes put on the peace that comes from God, from good news, so that you will be fully prepared. Ephesians 2.17 says that a believer can stand firm footing because they are at peace with God. What he's saying here is the reason you can stand firm is because if you have asked Jesus Christ into your life as Savior and Lord, you are his child. And it doesn't matter what your emotions say. It doesn't matter what the devil says. You can stand on the firm ground to know that you are God's child. Then it talks about the shield of faith. In addition to all of these, hold up the the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Now, these shields of faith, 
the Roman soldiers, they would carry these shields that would basically consist of two layers of wood glued together, covered with linen and animal hides, and then they would be bound with iron. They would be really tall, and then they would be curved. And so what would happen is, is that when they would have arrows flying at them, since there was so much wood and leather and linen, the the arrows would stick right into that wood and, and they would be good. They would take that shield and that would protect them. But even better yet, when they were in formation and they were side by side, you may have seen it in some movies, they would take the shield and they would hold it up. The person beside them would hold it up and all of a sudden they have a movable wall as they walk hand in hand. That wall protects them. And my friend, as a Christian and as a member of God's church, we must walk hand in hand with our shields of faith, protecting ourselves, protecting one another and taking the cause of God Further, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ further. Because, my friend, your faith in God will be what shields you against the attack of the devil and his forces. Then he says in verse 17, the helmet of salvation. Put on the salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Why do you think he says the helmet of salvation? I'll tell you why. Because that's the first place the devil tries to get into is your head. That that's where he, he, he tries to make you think bad thoughts. He tries to make you doubt your salvation. He tries to make you doubt God and look at God in ways that are not biblical. We got to make sure that we understand that we keep salvation prominent and for, first and foremost in our thinking. Then also he says the sword of the spirit. If you notice here, it's the only weapon even listed in this whole thing. Spiritual battles are not fought with worldly warfare. Your spiritual battles are fought through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're waiting for government to pass legislation to help you in your faith in God, you will be waiting for eternity and miss it. If you're waiting for someone else to validate you, you are going to miss it. The spiritual battles that you fight cannot be fought with worldly warfare. They are fought through the Holy Spirit. My friend, if you are in a battle today and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got that power within you to fight. And it's not you doing the fighting. It's the Holy Spirit doing it through you. Finally, we see to pray offensively. I, I know a lot of times we pray what I call defensively we always pray for people that are hurting that have sicknesses that have troubled times and someone say well did you hear about so and so and you say well i'll pray for them and we we react to that and we pray defensively but what paul is telling us here is to pray offensively to start praying Ahead of these requests, he says, pray in the spirit at all times on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So how in the world do we pray in the spirit at all times? That means, number one, we make prayer a priority in our lives. You may not. Look, I don't want you closing your eyes and praying while you drive down the road. Your passenger can do that. 
But as you're going down the road and you see stuff and you think of things, maybe it's playing Christian music in your car. Maybe it's putting a verse on your car somewhere to remind you of something. But staying in that attitude of knowing no matter what's going on, God has got this. Praying in that spirit. Don't just pray for things you are responding to, like sicknesses and stressful situations. Pray offensively for God to go before you, that God would use you and give you opportunities as he guides you on your path. Just stay in an attitude of prayer. Stay in the moment. Make it your default setting. And make the most of the opportunities God gives you. Verse 19 says, and pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words so that I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for the Jews and the Gentiles alike. Folks, he's writing all this from jail. He says, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. You know what I think is ironic out of this whole letter? And especially this last, last part? Check this out. What did Paul not pray for? Never once did he pray, get me out of here. Never once did he say, take this from me. His prayer was, give me the strength to be through this, and you do what I've told you God wants you to do. And then after that, Paul closes with some final greetings. So really, fight or flight, the choice is yours. Every one of us will come to what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. He, wrote, he and Claude King wrote a study called Experiencing God. And he talked about a crisis of belief. What is that? What is a crisis of belief? That is, all of us at some point in our life are going to come to that decision, that moment, to where we have said we are a Christian, we have gone to church, we have believed, but we are going to have to jump in faith on that belief. We are going to have to apply what we believe. It's time for believers to fight for the gospel. It's time for believers to fight to keep the gospel at the center of your family, at the center of the mission for our church, and that as the, the help that this world needs for the situation that it's in. Because, folks, our families, our communities are under attack. Not from causes, not from politicians, not from all these other things. They are symptoms of a greater problem. Our world is sick with sin, and we must get on the offensive as a Christian. And I don't mean by waging war against people. I mean by getting on our knees and seeking to do what God has called us to do. Believers, you are God's church. He calls every believer to join him. This is his plan of redemption through Jesus Christ and through the church. We're not called to get all the benefits from God yet not serve him. This world is under attack from the evil one. And it's time for his children to rise on his behalf. It's not time for us to go AWOL. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And it is challenging, Lord. It is so challenging. But as Paul said here, the challenge is great, but your spirit, your Holy Spirit is the power that gets us to it. So, Lord, if there are believers here today or watching by way of Facebook, 
that would say, Preacher, I need that power. I don't know that power. Things have been getting bigger than I am. And I need, I need to pick up that armor. I need strength. Would you just pray for me? Maybe there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ and they don't know that power. And they are defenseless against this evil that's against them. May today be the day that they come to know you. But God, I know that there are Christians, there are brothers and sisters in Christ that are here and they are struggling. May you remind them right now that you love them and that your power is within them and that you want them to trust you and to put your word to the test. You want to show them something beautiful that they would just obey. God, I love you, and I thank you for this time together as we enter into the Lord's Supper part of our service. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.